Okay. We're doing it. Okay. Suit up! Damn it, Marshall! New is always better. Challenge accepted. I'm not the blitz! You want to hit of this sandwich? Damn, maybe be cool. Can we go camping? Hi, everyone. Um, this is the first episode of The Re-Return, um, which is a podcast with me, Aaron, and my buddy, Lear. Hello. Um, and we're going to be essentially running the series of How I Met Your Mother, and talking about how it all fits together. Um, my name's Erin. Um, I am a journalist who works in upstate New York, and I am obviously a huge sitcom fan. We wouldn't be podcasting if it wasn't an obsession of ours, um, but this is just kind of for fun. Um, Lear, why don't you tell our audience of zero people? <laughs> uh, my name is Lear. Uh, I'm in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And I work in IT as a day job, but I'm actually a freelance bassist uh, by trade. Uh, I've been a huge sitcom fan my entire life, uh, dating all the way back to watching Cheers with my father uh, late in its original run. Uh, How I Met Your Mother is one of the truly great sitcoms from the you know the last few years, uh, and it's just something great to talk about yeah um i think there's gonna be all i mean because it's such a complicated sitcom um and it really i think broke the form in a way like it both exemplified the form of the multi-cam sitcom and also like completely destroyed it there's just gonna be a lot of interesting things to say about it because we can unpack it in a lot of different ways um so we're kind of hoping that we're going to try to really get into how all the pieces that go on through nine seasons fit together because it's a complicated timeline with some interesting continuity um, and really interesting character development. And it's also funny. We think it's hilarious. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Um, so obviously, spoiler alert, like all nine series seasons, if you've been on the internet, you know how it ends. Um, so please do not come harass us about how we talked about the ending because you should know how it ends. Like if you've been on the internet in the last two years, you know what's going on. <laughs> yeah, spoilers don't apply uh, after a few months after something airs. So spoiler alert: Bruce Willis is dead the whole time. Yeah, really. Like, come on, guys. <laughs> <laughs> um. So here's the other thing I think we were going, you're going to realize as you listen to this. Um, we are the only two people who liked the finale. It's true. Uh, from the day one, loved the finale. Totally saw it coming. Like, this is the way that it needed to end. And for some reason, everyone else on the internet is wrong. Everyone on the internet is wrong. And, like, they're wrong all the time. Like, they can't stop being wrong. They're wrong even when it's not relevant. Oh my god. <laughs> it's true. The internet is just wrong. And we're right. Obviously. We're always right. About everything. But especially about this. The finale was great. Yes. And you're all jerks for hating it. And you're gonna find out why by listening to us talk about this for nine seasons worth of podcasts. Pinnacle of modern television. Yeah. It will go down as one of the best finales in television history, but probably not for another 10 years or so. Yeah, it, it's going to take some time because people were so angry about it. So 
Lear, question. Can you think of an example of a finale that was so hated uh, was eventually vindicated? Well, people are starting to come around to Roseanne, which had a very contentious ending. Um, if you know anything about Roseanne uh, or the finale, the entire last couple of seasons were completely negated by the finale. Uh, turns out that uh, one of my favorite jokes, uh, it was all happening in her head. <laughs> I know, uh, that's your favorite thing. Roseanne had been... Yeah, exactly. Um, it turns out Roseanne had been writing a book to cope with the loss of her husband uh, after he died of a heart attack. Um, but we saw a good, you know, what, three years of Dan uh, after he supposedly died. So, but people are coming around to that. Those, those kind of fake-out finale endings are really contentious when they happen. Obviously, you're you're messing with characters that people have grown to love over over years, grown to relate to, and then to see them not get their happy ending or not get the happy ending you are expecting really throws people off. I mean, and the audience like wants what it wants, and they get angry when they don't get it. Exactly. Um, what about you? Do any come to mind for you? You know, I, I generally, um, am down with what the creator wanted, you know, like they, they get to, I mean, it's their vision ultimately. Um, and like, oh, you know what? A good one. Everyone really hated the epilogue to Harry Potter, but like, I was pretty down with it. I don't know. Um, JK Rowling gets to do whatever the fuck she wants. Like, it's not, it's not my vision. And she gave us seven books of amazing shit. So <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So maybe it was like a little weird that like there's sudden like the characters are suddenly 32 and all was well, which, you know, she's writing a play about all was not well. So she was basically lying to us. Whole other thing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um so that's kind of um, my thought about like the endings and finales. I loved the seventh Harry Potter book and I loved the finale of How I Met Your Mother. Um, I stand by both of those opinions, even though they are occasionally contentious. There you go. Stay strong. Stay strong. Fight the power. <laughs> I'm going to say that a lot. It's going to get weird. That's true. Also, we're going to swear a lot, so I hope no one uh, cares because too bad. I've had a good solid half a glass of wine and like it's going to start flowing. Awesome. Yeah. So, in this episode, um, our big mission is to talk about the pilot. Um, and if you've seen the finale, obviously, like, the end is in the beginning. Um, in a way that makes the pilot in the first season, like, so important to the mythos of How I Met Your Mother. Um, I mean, obviously. Like, you look, you, you look at the pilot and you look at the finale and you should have known exactly how it was going to end. Like, then not only did they telegraph it, especially throughout the eighth and ninth seasons, like, they were, they're telling you, they're telling you what's going to happen. Like, of course it's going to be Ted and Robin and the Blue French Horn. Right. How, how else could it end? And you can watch the pilot and the finale. Like, you could watch them back to back and you're not going to miss any of the core story. You're going to wonder how they got there, you're going to wonder who this woman is that, you know, 
just kind of showed up for a few years of Ted's life, but you're you're not going to wonder who Robin is. You're not going to wonder why she's there. No, because she's... That always made sense. It made so much sense. Like, I mean, I think this is the other thing people get angry about in, in like... So this is essentially a romantic, like this whole series series is a romantic comedy and people expect there only to be one person for the main character. Um, And that's just like not true to life. I think there's multiple people like you could end up with and be happy with. And like, so yeah, like Ted met Robin and loved Robin and wanted to be with Robin. But I think his feelings for the mother, Tracy, were just as genuine and they're not... Like, it doesn't have to be separate. It could be two different things. We get to see two complete happy stories. We get to see two happy endings for Ted. We get. We also get the sad one in the middle with Tracy, you know, with how that ends. But it's still two complete love stories for Ted. I think um, it's interesting that Robin also gets two complete love stories. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And what, what, what other show gives you that? Yeah. I mean, everyone gets to screw everyone, and it's awesome. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Ted and Robin, in many ways, like, well, Robin is in some ways, an un- especially in, like, the pilot in the first se- seasons of the show, is, I think, an uh, undeveloped character, because it's from Ted's point of view, and from Ted's point of view, you know, she's kind of this MacGuffin. She's the thing you want. <laughs> Um, and she's the thing that starts. Right. She 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 not only is the catalyst to the story, which the kids very smartly point out in the in the end, but she's like the driving motivation behind almost everything Ted does. Um, and then of course, like he has buddies and stuff because it's a hangout comedy. So I think that you know if you were really paying attention to the structure, you could read what the creators are telling you, which is that yeah. Of course, like, all these stories are about Robin. He wants to, he, his wife died, and Ted wants to get in her pants again. Like. <laughs> <laughs> Duh. His kids figured that out immediately. It's all very craftily written. It, it's all very witty. But it's all there. There are no surprises if you're paying attention. Right. Which, um, I think also... You know, it's a story it's a story with no surprises, but it's also about the journey. Like it's a show that makes it very clear that like, yeah, sure all this stuff is faded, but who cares because this is about the journey. Right. So, you should have all known from the second Ted showed up on her doorstep with the blue French horn. So, I know I'm jumping in the plan a little bit, but I kind of want to talk about the blue French horn because I have a theory. Um and I think we're going to be able to track it throughout the series. And my theory is that you can tell where Ted's part is and, like, based on where the French horn is. Okay. How so? So, in the first episode, he steals the blue French horn from the bistro and he gives it to Robin because his heart is with Robin. And at the end of the second season, when Ted and Robin break up, the horn goes back to the bistro. Um, And we don't see it again for another two seasons, um, I believe, until Barney and Ted start competing over Robin because she's with Don. So 
I believe Ted goes back to the bistro and um, steals the French horn and and essentially holds it up for Robin like he does in the pilot and in the finale. So, so this is the competition part. Like, we now know that Barney and Ted are going to be the competition for Robin's affections for the ne- like through the end of the season, the series. Was that season four or season five? Am I wrong? Uh, I want to say five. Yeah, four or five. Yeah. Okay. So, but then, so so Robin, again, has the blue French horn, and Ted is pining for her, um, even though he's dating other women and other stuff happens. Oh, right. Sorry. Twin beds. Um, yeah, that was toward the end of season five. Season five? Okay. Yes. Okay. So, so the, so when the horn is with Robin, he's like, he's basically wanting to get back with Robin. That kind of ends when Robin moves out in what, season eight? Like they move in together in season, at the end of season five, correct? Yes. Yep. After Don takes off. And, and Robin, I think in the early parts of season eight moves out. Um, but she leaves the blue French horn with him and I don't, and he, I, I think he holds onto it, but like when the, fu- when the blue French horn is with Robin, he wants to get with Robin. But like, I feel like the beginning of, of eight is when he's really trying hard to let go, but can't until like season nine. And then they do the floaty thing and whatever. <laughs> <laughs> the Robin balloon. Yes. The Robin balloon. So I think that the blue French horn, I mean, obviously the blue French horn and the yellow umbrella are two very potent symbols that you can track throughout the series. Um, the blue French horn, I'm, I'm sorry, the yellow umbrella obviously doesn't show up until um, season three when you find out that it's definitely not Robin who's the mother. So I just, you know, I think paying attention to where the blue French horn is tells you a lot about what Ted's kind of state of mind and where he's at and like what he wants. Right, it tells you where his, where his heart's at. I mean, the whole first season, he's tracking the blue French horn and is sitting in her is sitting in her apartment, and he's, you know, half-heartedly going after all these other women, um, trying to find true love, and like it's just it's right where you expect it to be. It's, it's where the blue French horn is, man. Yep, from the moment he says Smurf penis, Smurf penis, you know that this, you know that the blue French horn is about Robin, and it always will be. Right. Would you go out with someone if they said Smurf penis on the first date? If it was Ted, maybe. <laughs> That's like Ted and Robin in the ending. I will say, as a journalist, I think it's a little ridiculous that Robin, as a, like essentially a cub reporter for a local news station, would be sent to Orlando. That's like the most ridiculous piece of shit I've ever heard in my entire life. Um, New York reporters don't go to Orlando unless they work for, like, CNN or a national news network. Like, I don't even know what the writers were thinking. (laughs) Yeah, wouldn't you just get, like, if you're going to cover a story like that, wouldn't you just get footage from the local station? Yeah, it's what the AP is for, dude. Like, if the dude, like, the AP is going to cover that shit, you're not going to send your own reporter. That's just insane. It's a local news station. You don't cover shit in Orlando. That seems needlessly expensive. So expensive. Like... Seriously, my newspaper, like, won't send people, like, to the other side of the state to cover shit. Like, much less, (laughs) 
much less to Orlando. That's just ridiculous. In, anyway. In their defense, though, your state is like eight hours long. Yes, it is. Um, yes, New York is a very large state. Can you tell him from Michigan, measuring distances in uh, time? Well, we are both Midwestern, so yes. Yeah. So I, I am also from Michigan. I'm living in upstate New York for work. Yeah, I mean, I think we do both do that. We bring a Midwestern sensibility to this stuff. Absolutely. Which includes all the swearing. All the swearing. So, real quick, before we get too far off of the blue French horn, I, I, I had a thought. They're really early on. They were really good about kind of burying that a little bit. Like, yes, it's it's this grand gesture. Mm-hmm. But immediately after Ted says smurf penis and they laugh about that they move on to making a big deal about the olive theory which we never really hear about again i I think we hear about it one other time but they make this big deal in the pilot about the olive theory how they're compatible because of the olive theory immediately after seeing the blue french horn right yeah he still grabs it during the episode and you know makes a big deal out of it again but like, the whole gang is making this big deal about the Olive Theory. Which, when we do hear about it later, the the next time, it's, like, thrown on its end because Robin is eating olives. And it it's this whole stupid thing, you know, and obviously the Olive Theory means nothing. Right. Well, it's immediately debunked. It's almost immediately debunked in the episode because Ted explains the, ro- the, the Olive Theory, which is that one person in the relationship should like olives and the other person shouldn't. Um, and it's a perfect balance between people who like olives and people who don't like olives and yay. But Barney immediately says to Marshall, Hey, I saw you eating olives. What up? Like, so it's a lie that Marshall is, is telling Lily so that he can maintain this theory that they're perfect for each other. Because obviously Marshall and Lily are the perfect couple, and they're very invested in being the perfect couple. So that's a that's a necessity to him and his relationship, who he, you know, he just got engaged. Um, that's like the other part of this episode. I feel like we're talking we're talking very much about Ted and Robin because it's what really ties to the pilot. I'm sorry, to the finale. I mean, you also meet Marshall and Lily and, T- and Barney in this episode. Great segue, by the way. Super proud of you. Thank you. <laughs> but, I mean, it's almost immediately debunked. Marshall, in the cab, admits to Lily, um, you know, I, d- I like olives. And she says, I think we're going to work it out. So, we know that the olive theory is bullshit. Right. As are all of Barney's theories. All of Barney's theories. I don't know. The crazy hot scale, like, even though he does the graph wrong, like, might hold up. <laughs> we'll get to that, though. Right. Can, can we talk about how young everyone is real quick, too? Yeah, go for it. So, this is just kind of at random. Any time, every time I watch the the pilot, uh, which I you know I just rewatched it again, and it always amazes me how young everyone looks. Like Neil Patrick Harris at this point, we had known for twenty years. Yes, because uh, yeah. you know Dougie Hauser and stuff. <laughs> exactly, you know. Child star. Right. But he still looks like he did when he was, you know, Doogie Hauser. Right. Oh, um, so much. Marshall, or, you know, Jason, looks, you know, straight off the set of Freaks and Geeks. And uh, Allison Hannigan was straight off the set pretty much of um, 
Buffy, you know, like a year or two before and was still filming episodes of Veronica Mars at the time. It's very hard for me not to watch the first season and not see Willow. Like, it's just Willow Rosenberg, like, with a fiancé and no magic and no problems. Like, But she's even got the, the same hair and look and everything. It's almost like there was a conscious decision that that was who they wanted. You know, that was the look they wanted when they brought her in. Yeah, absolutely. But I had never heard of Josh Radner or Kobe Smulders by this point. I had no idea who they were. I think this was Kobe Smulders' first... I think it was both of their first big roles. Okay. Wasn't it? I think so. I mean, but, you know, it's a sitcom pilot. Like, who the fuck knew it was going to be a nine-season phenomenon that the internet would end up hating? And Kobe, obviously, I think, has had some major successes, you know, moving into the Marvel Universe and, you know... Woohoo! Woohoo! Ted, in a very Ted-like fashion, directs his own films. Yep. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that Josh Radner is basically Ted. A- after watching Mercy Street, I- I'd like to believe that. After seeing him as a... An old-timey yeah, doctor? Spoiler alert, as a, uh, an old-timey morphine addict. He's like got he has like all these Ted like gestures and phrases and it's just like it was very creepy watching that show because it was basically Ted is an old timey doctor amputating people's faces and shit. Yep. Ted in a play. The immediacy of live theater. Live theater? God damn it, Ted. (laughs) (laughs) You like we've both watched all of Friends, not like recently recently but in the past 10 years like it was on netflix last year and i watched all 10 seasons of friends same took me about a week and obviously since how i met your mother was such a phenomenon the comparison to friends is just unavoidable um but like this first season like even down to like the the groovy like act intros and stuff like it feels like an episode of friends like i feel like how i met your mother becomes the bridge between like the friends style of sitcom and like a more modern style of sitcom which i think is exemplified by later seasons of parks and rec community um happy endings which i know we are obviously fans of all these shows right yeah, Happy Endings, Parks and Rec, The Office, all of those are a very different take on sitcoms. Because um, you could say that, aside from you know pushing the envelope and being a little, uh, uh, what's the word, racier, sitcoms had been pretty much the same from day one. Um, you, you occasionally had... The, the first real change was probably... Uh, actually, Roseanne, when you got the first dysfunctional family sitcom. But even that, it took another, you know, it took until Malcolm in the Middle, ten years later, to uh, to really solidify it. Roseanne was very contentious, partly because Roseanne Barr, or Roseanne Arnold, was such a contentious celebrity figure i mean people either loved her or hated her um but then when you get a show like malcolm in the middle with just a lovable child star regardless of what frankie muniz went through event you know over the years you know he just kind of solidified that that style right and malcolm in the middle was one of the first um you know single cams right 
The first what? Single cam style sitcoms. Oh, yes. Yeah. What's unique, too, about comparing Friends and How I Met Your Mother, they pretty much, like, you pretty much went from one right into the other. There was one season gap. Friends ended in May of 2004, and then, you know, a year later, How I Met Your Mother started. So there was really no gap. How I Met Your Mother was introduced to me as the new Friends. Like, that is how people described it to me, like, in college at my sorority. Like, they were like, you have to watch the show. It's the new Friends. And I think in a lot of ways it is the obvious heir to Friends. Um, because it's, you know, it's five singles in New York trying to find love and, like, survive with their stupid jobs and shit. Not worrying about money unless it's convenient to the plot. Only when it's convenient to the plot. Yeah. Um, and obviously they have these beautiful yeah. apartments that they couldn't afford even if they were millionaires. But I think How I Met Your Mother makes this narrative leap that makes things like community possible. Does that track for you? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was narratively ambitious in a way that I think sitcoms didn't want to be beforehand. I mean, we're probably missing a ton of sitcoms, like, that we just didn't watch. But as far as, like, major network sitcoms, like, this was this was something that, I, I don't want to say hadn't been seen before, but was doing something different. Right. Yeah. Older sitcoms, older sitcoms, you had things, I mean, you had the very special episodes. Right. That were, you know, supposed to break the mold, but you didn't have entire story arcs that were you know turning anything on their head it was the same single love story for a story arc you know you had the sam and diane thing you know that was still pretty standard still pretty commonplace going back to finales for a second yeah occasionally you had things like saint elsewhere where the finale would just be of you know kind of a slap in the face another it all happened in someone's head thing but you know that that's just a single point in time that kind of throws the whole thing into disarray as opposed to something like how i met your mother which builds it up the entire time they're they're driving toward that change i mean i just don't think you see the you would see the narrative ambition in what sitcoms are achieving today without how i met your mother and its success like in retrospect, it's not, like, all that ambitious. It really just took one through line with, like, through nine seasons. Like, to its benefit or not. I think, um, you know, especially when you get into season nine, you can talk about whether or not they kind of screwed themselves or not. Um, but it never lacked in ambition, which I think is always exciting when you're talking about art and especially about television. Um, television needs ambition to survive. Yeah, yeah I, I could not agree more. A show like Friends, you know, would lead into something like How I Met Your Mother. You know, they, they couldn't completely put it on its end from day one. But How I Met Your Mother couldn't have happened without Friends either. Just because of the pure success of it. Right. No, I, yeah, exactly. And Friends did, did a, a fantastic job with the the same kind of thing that Ted went through. You know, it started with the girl. It ended with the girl. Mm -hmm. It was a little more cliched. You know, you didn't have the fake out or anything, but you you still had you did have that that single line, right? For at least that small part of their story. 
I mean, rewatching Friends, it surprised me. Um, I hadn't watched it since it went off the air. Um, and it surprised me Neither how, how important Ross and Rachel were to, like, the overall plot of the series. Um, and they hit a lot of the same beats that, like, Robin and Ted hit throughout How I Met Your Mother. Because I think they're very common, like, story beats. Not just in sitcoms, but in romantic comedies and in romances and the hero cycle and, like, all these different ways we structure stories as a society. It's, it's just kind of hard to avoid some of these beats. So Friends, I think, is definitely, like, a precursor to How I Met Your Mother. Um, I think How I Met Your Mother is a lot more interesting, but <laughs> it's kind of an unavoidable piece of the conversation. Well, and Friends is also before our generation. Yeah. Like, we grew up watching it, but we were kids watching it. How I Met Your Mother, we went through watching it in at a similar point in... Uh, yeah. We're, we're both in our late 20s, uh, just as a, a heads up for everyone. So we, you know, we got to watch How I Met Your Mother basically just a few years ahead of where we were. As opposed to Friends, we were watching, you know, grown-up situations that we couldn't relate to, but we could still find humor. Like, looking back on it, I relate to it more than I did at the time. Oh, definitely. But because I didn't grow up with it at that point... It'll never mean the same thing to me. I mean, and that's obviously, like, how pop culture works. You attach to what is of your generation. So something we didn't really touch on at all is the character of Barney. And I think especially in the first season, he is the obvious breakout character. Like, Neil Patrick Harris is obviously amazing in the character. He brings an energy I think they were not <laughs> expecting at all. Which I think you will see play out in later seasons I, I just think that Barney, in a way, he becomes so much more than what he is in the in the first season, and in, and especially in the pilot, because of the actor. I mean, he's he's a creep. He's definitely a creep. Like, there's no getting around it. Um, and I don't want to say but what you a heart love of to hate Barney. Yeah, like you love to hate Barney. Like, and I think that's how not only Ted feels about him. He's introduced as, no, I'm Barney. We met at the urinal. What? <laughs> Say I'm your best friend. <laughs> You're my best friend, Barney. He's like this annoying, hyper-competitive, laser tag-playing weirdo. He, he's a presence in their group. Yeah. What are your thoughts on, like, Barney and Barney's development? And, like, specifically tying to the pilot? Because Neil Patrick Harris transcends the writing... Um, and I think eventually the writers, like, kind of clue in and start taking advantage of that. But, like, did you see where Barney was going from the pilot? Oh, absolutely. Trying to take the pilot separate from the rest of the series for a second. Like, looking at it back when I first saw it, Barney, he was just a douche. Not like, oh, I hate that douche, but, like, a bro kind of... Douche. And I, I assumed he was a throwaway character. I didn't think that there would ever be any substance to him. I don't know how you thought uh, um, at the time, but I didn't expect him to go anywhere. Um, it was great seeing, you know, Neil Patrick Harris in a role like that. Just something that wasn't, you know, something a little different. And you're right, the energy... That he puts into it is 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 amazing. 
but I really didn't expect his character to develop. Like, I, I kind of expected him to be the ongoing foil of the rest of us are growing up and he won't. Mm-hmm. Which we do get a lot of that over the season, but there's never a point in time where you don't see hints of humanity in Barney. I mean, I think that we're, like, when you get into his different schemes, we're going to be able to parse, like, <laughs> the real versus the creep. Um, because he definitely does some creepy shit. Exactly. Like, at some point in the series, he admits to selling a woman for a car. Um, like, how is this dude not in jail five million times over? Amongst other things. Right. He's. I think also he's the most obvious point of sitcom exaggeration which makes it even more amazing that they could humanize him oh absolutely yeah he was just so over the top it was nice to have that to keep you from getting too far into it even though you and i think way too much into Mm -hmm. this at times but barney is so unrealistic that you get to remember that you're watching a TV show and you're watching a sitcom, not a romantic comedy. Even though, obviously, we we really get that, you know, romantic comedy vibe and that's what's going on, but Barney pulls you out of that a little bit and lets you remember that you're watching a show. And that's what gets so difficult as the series goes on as he does grow. And I think that's part of why I got so far into it. Because the show grew. Mm -hmm. You know, it didn't stagnate at any point, character-wise. Yeah. Barney was kind of my point of contention with with the finale. I loved the finale. I thought it did something very daring, and it pissed off its audience in a way that was, in retrospect, very obvious. Um, (laughs) But... Um, I mean, they they spend nine seasons convincing you that Barney has grown into a person who wants to find the love of his life and wa- and can settle down. And they, like, after his divorce with Robin, he turns back into this person from season one, which is, like, you could definitely frame as a defense mechanism, but they don't really give you enough time to let it set in. Like, it's kind of, he's the one character who I think gets the shaft with how the fin- the finale went. What are your thoughts? Yes and no. Because it's still, to, to go back to my last point, it is still a sitcom. And I, I think that it was a conscious decision to do that. To kind of bring him back to what I felt he was originally for the show. If everyone grows and everyone learns, what what was it all about? Was it all about that journey? Or was any of it there just for, for humor? And while I, I do agree that, you know, Barney's character did grow a lot and it could have ended with him still being a real person, it, it was fitting for him to go back to being similar to what he was in season one. And you can see bits of that happening 
even during season nine in the context of it um when he goes off and you know takes a couple of college frat bros to a strip club and you know teaches them his ways it's no matter how much he grows that was never going to go away yeah all right are you sick of talking about this yeah a little bit you want to wrap this one up yeah let's do it okay so a big question throughout the series is do you like ted ted goes through many permeations of like (laughs) being a good person being a terrible person and you, you know he's our point of view character so something that we're gonna track throughout this is how much we like or dislike ted in a certain episode on a scale of one to ten, ten being someone that we like and someone that we don't like. So, Lear, in the pilot, how much do you like Ted? Oh, I fucking love Ted in the pilot. He's a total ten. The I could not love Ted more as a character from the pilot. So, I went with a nine, um, which I think is really high. Um, I know it's not just, like, totally fucking love Ted. I mean, he's a little weird with Robin, Like, yes, you should have fucking kissed her and also maybe, like, don't show up at her doorstep at midnight and, like, I don't know. Who the fuck says I love you on the first date? Like, just, like, who the fuck says that? That's the worst. Oh, Ted. You know, he originates the Mosby in the pilot, obviously. Um, So I gave him a nine. I mean, seriously, who does that? Ted Mosby, that's who. This is the person that you (laughs) like. This is the person you're supposed to root for for nine seasons. So yeah, no, it's great that he's so likable in the beginning. Um, I think you'll find throughout the first season that like sometimes he isn't so likable. Yeah, my my ten in the pilot is nowhere near an average for the season. No, no, not even close. Not even a little bit. <laughs> yeah, we should probably like well, we'll do the math when we get to the end of the season. Um. So yeah, so Lear says 10, I say 9. These are pretty solid scores for how much we like Ted. Um, yep. And I think and I think it'll be interesting to see how this plays out throughout the season. Um, so, thank you for joining us. Um, this has been The Re-Return. So if you want to um, come talk to us or find out more about our show, about me and Lear, um, find out when the next episode's going to drop, um, check out thereReturn.com. Um, and we're also on Twitter at, at, at the re-return. Um, tell us what you think. Um, do you think that friends was the precursor, was the obvious precursor to how I met your mother? Um, please do tell us how much you hated the ending. We're going to ignore you, but we would love to hear it anyway. If you have any good comments, we may mock you on the, on the next episode as well. Um, if you have any questions for us or any thoughts that, you know, we're totally wrong, we're totally right. Um, we'll talk about it on our next episode. Uh, hit the comments at our website or tweet at us um, at the re-return and we will talk about that later. And I would love to hear if anyone else has any contentious finales, comment and let us know. Let oh, us know. yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. I mean, I think another um, another thing we would love to hear is any shows that you think that, you know, the first episode really tied into the end the way that How I Met Your Mother did. You know, obviously, it's a really important part of it. So many pilots are, are written and sold just to sell a show. Very few of them really relate to the rest of the series. So, yeah, any that do, 
Um, give give us your thoughts. Um, this has been a beast. Thank you for sticking around for almost an hour of our bullshit about the pilot of How I Met Your Mother. Um, we're gonna be posting. Wow. Yep. Oh my god. Yeah, we thought this was gonna be fifteen minutes, dude. <laughs> So thank you for joining us. This has been a beast of an episode. I don't think we're going to have this much to say about Purple Giraffe next week, but please come back and talk to us um, and listen. Thank you for hanging out and we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye everyone.